Everybody, Craig here from the University of Applied Research and Development, and it is our privilege to have with us Ryan McEwen, who's a Certified Emergency Manager and is also the Assistant Director for the Hamilton County Emergency Management and Homeland Security Agency. Ryan, great to have you with us. Uh, good day. Thank you for having me. Look, I'm really, really happy that you're here because you've got such a lot of experience over a decade in the industry. So why don't you tell us about your journey to your current role and um, how you got there? Absolutely. Uh, so I took sort of a unique approach to emergency management. Uh, I originally was going to be a history teacher. Uh, so when I was doing my undergraduate study, my focus was always on history. I was very excited to engage young minds, uh, much like you're doing. And my focus was on disaster history. I was fascinated by how uh, people responded to disasters in the past. Uh, so when I finished school, I decided I wanted some firsthand experience, and I took a job with the Red Cross in Philadelphia, uh, and that was where I really learned about and kindled my passion for emergency management, uh, responding to wildfires in California and flooding in the state of Washington, uh, you know, helping people who'd been affected by everyday uh, disasters, fires, and things in, in Philadelphia that I realized uh, as much as I liked helping people, I, I really wanted to get into this profession full time. Uh, so I went up to North Dakota State to work on a graduate degree in emergency management. And while there, they had two 500 year floods along the Red River. So I got firsthand experience responding wow. to flooding events. Uh, and from there, I actually managed to come back to my hometown of Dayton, Ohio, where I got my first uh, career position as an emergency manager. I spent five years in Dayton, uh, working with Montgomery County Office of Emergency Management, uh, really kind of got my, my feet wet and learned a lot, and then was offered the opportunity to be the assistant director in Hamilton County, which most folks would know, uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. And I've been here for the last six years. Fantastic. So two 500-year floods while you're studying. Wow. Very incredible experiences. Um, uh, you know, up in North Dakota, the topography is so flat that when they talked about the threats from the flooding, they said, as soon as it crests, it's going to go across the entire city. Uh, wow. And they had an incredible sandbagging operation up there. Uh, the entire city shut down. This was back in 2008, 2009. The entire city shut down, schools were closed, businesses were closed, and tens of thousands of volunteers got together to fill sandbags along miles of the Red River. Uh, and it was the most incredible act of altruism and volunteerism and a community coming together to protect itself. Uh, and I still kind of use that as my benchmark of how communities should work together to respond to hazards was seeing the people of uh, Fargo and the state of North Dakota work together. And on both sides of the river, Moorhead, Minnesota, on the other side of the Red River, uh, and, and absolutely protect homes, working with the National Guard, working with nonprofit organizations. And everyone took a role in that event. It was the most incredible thing. If you were not physically capable of filling up sandbags, for those who haven't filled up sandbags, you're talking about these 30, 40 pound bags of sand. And after about eight to 10 hours of throwing sandbags, it's wow. very laborious. Uh, and the people who couldn't do that 
were making sandwiches for the volunteers, were yeah. answering phone calls, were watching people's kids. Everyone found a way to help out and support the efforts. And it was just a, an incredible experience. So that was a, a very uh, humbling experience to be a part of. And then the next spring, uh, it, it happened again. It was not quite as bad, but it was still a very devastating flood. Um, and, you know, and since then, the city has put a lot of mitigation measures in place. Um, I've stayed in touch with a lot of my peers up there in North Dakota. Uh, and it was great for someone who is learning to be an emergency manager. And at the time, I was only a student to experience right. that firsthand. You couldn't ask for any better job training because we actually canceled classes for almost two weeks. And I worked in the city of Fargo's emergency operations center. Actually, I remember I was very upset the first day I was working on the sandbag line. And that evening, uh, the head of our department called us, Dr. Uh, Daniel Clino and Dr. Jessica Jensen called and said, we'd actually like you to work in the emergency operations center. I was like, I'm a young 20 year old strapping male. Are you sure you don't want me out there doing sandbags <laughs> in the very use of my time? Uh, but I ended up working, managing the call center and, and helping do that information management aspect. And that actually ended up being a better uh, way for me to learn how that aspect of the EOC works. So I'm glad they they pulled me off the physical labor, um, even though at the time I felt like that's where I could do more good. So tell us about that the the experience of seeing the different um, or the leadership styles of communication, the organization. What did you see were some principles that you took away from that experience or those two experiences? Uh, you know, I think the 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 biggest communications uh, styles that I saw that were really very effective was the transparency and the openness that the city leadership at the time had in helping residents understand the risk. Living on the Red River, uh, people were already very familiar with the risk because back in 1997, it had flooded and Grand Forks, which is a couple hundred miles north, had been devastated by the flooding. So people in the city of Fargo were already aware of what their risk were. So that risk communication and helping people understand their risk is very important. But at the same time, you had to help them understand why this threat in particular was going to impact them and what actions need to be taken. And you needed to be able to give residents tangible things to be able to do. And I've learned that, you know, since coming back to Ohio, the importance of good risk communication is if you have expectations for residents to take certain actions, you need to one, be able to explain to them what the risk is and why they need to take actions. And it's usually if you don't do this, something bad will happen. But you also need to give them very clear and concise actions to take. Seek mm. shelter, go indoors, go to this place for more information. In the flooding, it was help out with sandbag operations. Here are the locations you can go. Here's what you're going to be asked to do. Here's where we need to address the threat for something like uh, tornadoes, like they just had down in uh, the state of Kentucky, just south of where I am, you know, it's the importance of that clear commission of what we like to say during severe wind events is um, take cover, tune in, take action. Very simple, clear communication for residents to know, get to someplace safe, get a source of information, and then take the appropriate actions to make yourself safe. Uh, so whenever you find yourself in that leadership position, I think any emergency manager really needs to take some basic courses in crisis communications and public information, because if you yourself as the emergency manager are not going to be the spokesperson, 
you'll need to work with your elected officials or uh, if you're in the private sector, your CEOs, your COOs to make sure you have that clear communication with your stakeholders so they can take the appropriate actions. That's, you know, if anything else, that helps people respect your leadership. It helps them Mm. trust the leadership, the visibility of leaders being out there uh, in front of things and giving steps to take both before the event, during the event and after the event really helps people feel like their government um, or their leadership is looking out for them. And that confidence is is very important, uh, it's, especially when it comes to response and recovery. Sounds like the communication that's simple and clear with things that people can repeat so they know what to do and how to think about it is really important. Absolutely. So tell us about some of the um, situations you've been in in your current roles, role or current roles that you've had uh, where you've planned and prepared for particular hazards coming up. You know, um, we're, we've been very fortunate, uh, I got to knock on wood, otherwise my boss will be upset with me, that we have not had the significant events in Cincinnati since I've started here. Um, but, you know, since I've been here, we've had uh, multiple flooding events along the Ohio River. We've had some high wind events. We've had a couple of smaller but active shooter events. Um, And then we've had some high profile events. The Major League Baseball All-Star Game was held in the city of Cincinnati just two months, three months before I got here. Uh, Just last month in November, we hosted one of the World Cup qualifier games between uh, the United States men's team and Mexico. Uh, We are actually, the city of Cincinnati is currently one of the candidates to be a World Cup site for the 2026 games, we're hoping to uh, host uh, one of the rounds of the World Cup games, which would be massive amount of coordination. And we have a lot of pre-planned events in the city of Cincinnati that take that coordination. Um, every year around Labor Day, we do uh, River Fest, which is a big fireworks display. Uh, we have about a million people along the banks of the Ohio River that come and attend that. Um, every couple of years, we do a live art installation called Blink, where they do, um, you know, various uh, graffitis and live performance art and things. And the entire uh, sections of downtown Cincinnati shut down uh, all the way through northern Kentucky. They actually close a couple of the bridges that go across the river so people can walk from one state to the other. A lot of pre-planned events with hundreds of thousands of people that you need to prepare for. And, you know, one of the things that I've learned during all of these events is the importance of having good relationships with your partners. Um, We work very closely with the city of Cincinnati, with some of the other departments in Hamilton County, like the engineers, public health, uh, the administration, the communication center that does our dispatch, our 911. And having those relationships that you develop on a day-to-day basis through planning efforts, um, through, you know, just going out to, to have lunch with people, uh, you know, regular routine business means that you have helps that when you get to these pre-planned events or these other events that are, uh, you know, unplanned in emergency, um, the sharing of information becomes a lot more easy. Uh, people know the kind of things that you're looking for or that you'll need to know. And rather than you having to proactively reach out for that information, they Mm. may know that you're expecting information and take Mm. the steps of calling you in advance. Um, Mm. And that 
facilitates the response so much in little intangible ways that you don't realize. Um, but when your partners just know what you do and what you need to know, and will reach out without having to be told that because you have that pro that great relationship with them, um, that's very important. And one of the common things that we say in emergency management is, you know, it's not the plans that you're creating, it's the relationships that you build during the planning process. And that cannot be understated enough. Emergency management is so much about the relationships that you have with people. Um, even these most recent events that happened down in the state of Kentucky, our agency, while Hamilton County, where you know we're responsible for, was not really affected as much by the events, we're staying in close contact with some of our peers in Kentucky to say, how can we help? What things right. do you need? What resources might we have? And if we didn't have those good working professional relationships with those folks across the river, then when we reached out to them in a situation like this to say, how could we help? we might get lost in the noise of all the people who are reaching out, which is why those relationships are so important. Yeah, that's really powerful. And during the last two years, I can imagine the opportunity to meet in person and keep that relationship going would be difficult in the duration of what you've been through because floods and other events just don't stop because there's a virus. So how have you managed those relationships, um, kept your organization you know, keeping the momentum going? How have you looked after yourself? But COVID has been a real struggle for our organization in the sense of we have been doing a lot of things that we didn't think we would be doing as an agency uh, to support the efforts. Um, mm -hmm. Very early in the response, we realized there was the need to support uh, PPE efforts, uh, personal protective equipment, and having that coordinated response. So we actually are supporting uh, the logistics between uh, obtaining and distributing PPE to hospitals, uh, long-term care facilities, first responders, fire departments, uh, law enforcement, things like that, which is not something we no would have thought we'd have done. As you allude to though, we still have to do our planning. We still have other events mm -hmm. that have been going on so we've had sort of a reduction in staff because some of our staff members have been focused on the COVID response while the rest of us have had to kind of carry on. And that's been hard because we have to have planning meetings, but we can't actually meet in person with folks the way we used to. Right. And we're very fortunate in that we had already established those relationships. So we were able to transition to much what we're doing right now, a, a virtual you know, face-to-face -face meeting, but I will absolutely say you lose some of the, uh, you know, intangible things that occur in those planning meetings. When you meet over Zoom or Teams, you know, you take care of business and then you end the call and everyone's still in their office. When you meet face-to-face -face, mm. at the end of the meeting and before the meeting, you talk about your kids, you talk about local sporting yeah. events, you, you know, you talk about, hey, do you want to go grab lunch someplace? Uh, you know, you're no longer focused on the meeting, but you're still building a relationship. And when everyone is separated, yes, we can still get business done, but you're losing a lot of that. Mm. And one of the biggest challenges for offices, I have three specialists that report to me all of whom have started in the last uh, 15 months, so at different times, but mm. they have all started during COVID. Mm. 
none of them got to build the relationships that I got to build at the start of my career. So right. everything that they've done, all the partners that they've worked with, most of them have been virtual and they don't have the same relationships with some of our partners that I have because they've never actually met these partners face to face. And that's a real struggle for them. And, and you know, while we've still been able to get the things done we need to do, when COVID's over, they're going to have to start building up those relationships and they're going to be a year, two years behind the curve than where I was when I started. And I did get to meet with people face to face. Um, the good news is technology has allowed us to continue to do things that we have to do and that we need to do. And one of the highlights that our program has gotten is during COVID, we were accredited through the Emergency Management Accreditation Program, EMAP. Um, and to still be able to achieve that, mm. even during COVID, uh, really exemplifies that despite the challenges, we have a great team here who was able to work together, get that done. We have a lot of great partners who helped us get where we need to get uh, to get that accreditation. You know, we've still been able to address the incidents that we've had, the flooding, the wind hazards, the pre-planned events. Mm. Um, everything that was needed to get done has got done. It's just a little more difficult than it otherwise would have been. Congratulations to you and your team. That's quite an achievement in regular times. Thank you. I appreciate that. Just as we wrap up, Ryan, what would be some advice you'd give to aspiring emergency managers? Um, I think that the the advice I would have is a couple things, if I may. One is take your time to figure out what you would like to do in the field and how best to achieve those means. Uh, my first couple of years in the field, I was really getting my feet wet. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But when I took my position with Hamilton County, I'd be remiss if I didn't call out Nick Crosley, who's my director, um, former president of IAM USA. Um, Nick gave me the opportunity to take up a leadership position uh, to get involved in going out as an assessor for EMAP, for going out to the Emergency Management Institute in Maryland and taking leadership classes, uh, to eventually getting into a leadership position with IEM. And now this past fall, I was elected as the president for Region 6, which represents uh, six states here in the, in the United States, all because I had leadership who encouraged me and gave me the time to grow as a professional. And as long as I was still doing the things that I'm required to do for my job, also uh, do that. So my advice to aspiring emergency managers is if you have the opportunity to work with someone or for someone, be it your director, your city manager, your CEO, whomever that is, who will support your professional growth and development and will allow you to do those things beyond your day-to-day -day responsibilities, take that opportunity for what it's worth and pursue those opportunities. Meet other people. Uh, you know, being involved with IEM has been one of, the, one of the best parts of my career because I've gotten to work with professionals across the states, um, even mm -hmm. in some cases in other countries, uh, who have really expanded my thinking on how I approach certain topics, who have given me ideas on how they approach things and how I can improve things, and also just other subject matter experts. Um, this field is is rife with really creative, clever people uh, mm. who are trying to improve the profession as a whole. 
Uh, and IEM has given me that opportunity to do that. Um, even my state association, the Emergency Management Association of Ohio, has let me meet other professionals across the state that I would normally not get the opportunity to work with. So being a part of those professional organizations uh, is really great for your career. If you can find a, a mentor or a leader who will allow you to grow in that way, absolutely do that. And the second thing that I would say is our field is evolving. Uh, there are new threats, uh, climate change, uh, you know, uh, man-made threats versus natural threats, uh, the importance of social media in crisis communications. The, the way that emergency management has to do things now is so drastically different from even where it was, I'd say, 10, 12 years ago. And I can only imagine where it's going to be 10 years from now. Mm. That new emergency managers really should be open to being adaptable, uh, being willing to adjust their way of thinking, being willing to listen to other folks, and thinking about the hazards and threats that we might face long term. I think our profession is not just going to be focused on current response and recovery, but helping our communities and our organizations become more resilient, mm. thinking long-term strategies, uh, you know, with the development and the creation of the BRIC, the Building Resilient uh, community Infrastructure and Communities, and the greater emphasis on mitigation that shows that we need to be thinking about hazards and threats to our communities much more long-term. Uh, so for aspiring and new emergency managers, really think about things from a long-term perspective uh, and what you can do uh, and how that's going to affect your career over the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years, because things are going to continue to change and we need to mm. be able to adapt with the times. Now you said, um, I've got two things. I actually made a list of what you just said. So let me just read those back and make sure I haven't missed anything. So take time to decide. Uh, what you might focus on, work with someone to expand your exposure, uh, join associations and build your network, uh, connect with subject matter experts, which I think is brilliant, um, understand new threats, whether they're man-made or, or natural, and then be adaptable and build resiliency in a long-term focus. There's a lot of advice packed in there, but yeah. A lot of wisdom. Ryan, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for giving us your experience and your wisdom and sharing it with us today because I know you're really busy. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure, and uh, thank you for, for coordinating this. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Ryan. Please don't go anywhere just as I wrap up. And for those of you that are watching, catching the recording, if you're an emergency manager, you know that you are always training. And if you're from the military as well, as a veteran or active service professional, you've got that big binder full of certifications and courses that you've done. And sometimes that doesn't translate into academic credit for a bachelor degree or even a master's degree. But that's what we do. That's why we were established. So uard.org or uard.ac.nz. Jump in, have a look, and um, we can certainly give you credit for all of your experience, your training, and your certification so you can move your career along as you want to. So, Ryan, again, thank you so much for being with us. And for those of you watching, we'll see you again on the next episode.